from the book of Psalms and Psalm 119 and reading from verse 33. Psalm 119 and reading from verse 33 down to 64. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me, because of the wicked, who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favour with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading from his own word, and to his name be all the praise. I'd like to say a few words on a number of the verses in this 
section of scripture that I've read with you, particularly focusing on Psalm 119 and verse 54. Psalm 119 and verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. This is obviously the longest of the Psalms of David. I believe it is David's uh, composition under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's interesting in that uh, there is no real connection uh, between one verse and another, no progression of thought, as it were, as you find in some other psalms. The psalmist, uh, in a particular situation, he is talking about his own experiences, but uh, here it looks as if the psalmist has had experience with the Word of God down through the years, and according to some commentators anyway, it looks as if he put his thoughts together in this format of uh, uh, this psalm. And uh, you notice that at the beginning of each section there is a, a different word, and uh, these are Hebrew words, the Hebrew alphabet, and in the Hebrew each uh, section it begins with a successive letter of the alphabet. And uh, it's said that this was put together in this way to aid memory. And there are some people who are able to recite this psalm from beginning to end. Uh, the psalm speaks particularly of the Word of God. It speaks uh, of God's Word using various uh, descriptions. It talks about as testimonies and laws, talks about the Word of God as statutes and judgments and precepts. And uh, it shows that the man of God has had a long association, heart involvement with the Word of God or the Scriptures. And when he comes to this particular verse, verse 54, he says this, your statutes, your laws, your commandments, your word, it has been my song, or your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. And I'd like to say a few words under three headings for a while this morning. First of all, he's talking here about a particular house. He says, in the house of my sojourning. A few words on the house. Secondly, a few words on the sojourn or the journey that he is taking. And thirdly and finally, the songs that are arising from his heart because of the Lord's statute, because of the Lord's word because of what the Bible is telling him. 
So these three uh, headings, the house is talking about the sojourning or the journey he's making and the songs that he's singing. First of all, the house. In the house of my sojourning. Now David, he was the king of Israel. And I'm sure he had many houses in which he could stay. He had his palace in Jerusalem. He had other places where he used to stay. And before he ascended the throne of Israel and took residence in the palace in Jerusalem, he was a bit of a fugitive. You may remember that King Saul, he sought his life. And he sought to put him to death on numerous occasions. And we find David in various parts, running away from King Saul. One time he was in the cave of Adullam. That was his temporary residence at that particular time. But I think David here, rather than talking about a house in which he lives, like a mansion or a place uh, uh, that he dwells in as a house, he's talking particularly, I think, about his own human frame. He's talking about the house that he is himself. You know that when Job describes us, he describes us as dwelling in houses of clay. In other words, we are mortal beings. And we walk around day by day clothed with our mortality. Our human frame is mortal. And that's basically the house that David here is focusing on at this time. Now, of course, when you read the scriptures, you realize that that's not the kind of house God prepared for Adam when he created him out of the dust of the ground. He created him and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he was made in the image of God. And he was blessed by God. And he was in a holy and a happy condition as he was by nature. But the wind of sin blew strongly against the walls of Adam's house into his mind, into his affections, into his will, into his whole being, the wind of sin tore through him in such a way that he fell from the estate in which he was created by sinning against God. And in that moment, when sin wrecked him, the seed of mortality was planted deep 
in his being. And those who have come from him, like you and like me, we are the seed of Adam. We are mortal as he was. Because that's the kind of house we are. That's the kind of fabric we're made of. We are mortal creatures. And the Apostle Paul, when he talks in 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, he's talking about this earthly house of this tabernacle and he says it's going to be dissolved. It's going to be taken apart just like some tabernacle or tent could be taken apart quite quickly and quite easily taking the framework apart and then you fold the, the thing up and you walk on your way. So it is with ourselves. We are just travelling people in this house that is ready to be dismantled and will be sooner or later because the time of our departure is awaiting us all. And we see that David here, he says, I realize I'm in a house that is ready to fold up, to disintegrate, a house of clay. But secondly, we see that in this house of clay, he is sojourning. The sojourning, as he all knows, like a, a temporary, a temporary stays. If somebody comes to sojourn in this community, he's only going to be here a short while. That's the meaning of the word. And that's what it says here. That the house in which David is, it is a house in which he's dwelling for just a short time. A short time. Isn't that true of ourselves, of our life? Psalm 39 says, You have made my days as an handbreadth. There was an old elder back long ago, and he used to quote this evidently in his public prayer. And he used to say, You have made our days as an handbreadth. Not even a hand length, but a hand breadth. Talking about the brevity of our lives. And then it's, the Psalms in Psalm 102 says, My days are like a shadow that lengthens. A shadow that lengthens means the sun is going down, and the further down it goes, the longer the shadow gets. And that's the way our days are. Psalm 103, man says his days are like the grass. As the flower of the field he grows, 
over it the wind hath passed and it away is gone and of the place where once it was it shall no more be known and one more comment on this James in chapter 4 of this epistle says what is your life it is a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So David here sets the scene for us. And he sets the scene for the song that he's going to talk about. And he says, I am singing in this house that's crumbling, in this body that's aging, on this short journey through life. And he says, I'm singing. I wonder what songs you have. Do you turn the radio on in the morning and listen to some folk music or Gaelic music or whatever? Nothing wrong with that in its own way. But it's not the primary song that you should be singing nor listening to. It is the song that David here highlights that is of the utmost importance. And what song is he talking about? Well, it says here that your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. The word of God. This is what gives him to sing in the mornings and even to sing at night. I remember you on my bed, he says, with delight. That's what we had in Psalm 63 at the opening. When I remember you in the night time, I rejoice. Now, his personal songs. Well, see at verse 47, for example, in this psalm. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. He loves the commandments of God. And that gives him reason to rejoice. He delights in God's word. Verse 48. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. And in Psalm 119, verse 162, it says that he rejoices at the word of God like one who finds great spoil. It's as if he is so engaged with the word of God that he counts it the greatest treasure that could be had by anybody. He's been encouraged by the promises of God. Verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you made me hope. He's been encouraged by a word in season from the Lord. Maybe when he was in darkness. Maybe when he was full of questions. When he was surrounded by enemies. The Lord intervened with a word of encouragement. And a word that strengthened him to go on. And that gave him to sing 
the praise of God. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The word of God in his affliction gives him encouragement and strength to go on. And isn't this true with all of God's people? We sometimes wonder, can we go any further? Can we go any further up this hill that seems to be so difficult and against the current that is so strong can we swim until the word of God comes and he lifts you and he encourages you and he gives you strength to go forward another step, another day. The truth of God had given him a a spurt of new life. Now, particularly, I want to highlight some of the things that would have encouraged the man of God as he thought on God's dealings with the people of God of old. See from verse 52 particularly. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. I think his mind is going back to the dealings that God has had with his people down through the centuries, down through the years. See, for example, after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, and the Lord gives a promise right there in the Garden of Eden that there would come a one, one who would bruise the head of the serpent, even the seed of the woman, the first promise regarding a coming Messiah, a saviour for sinners. And what an encouragement that is for the man of God. He rejoices to know that a saviour is coming. We rejoice to know that the Saviour has come. He has come and he has fulfilled every aspect of the work given him to do. He came to be the sin-bearer, even the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And he came and he finished the work, saying on the cross, it is finished. And he is now ascended on high, he is sitting at the right hand of glory and there he is making continual intercession for his people. If, he, if the psalmist went back in his mind to consider God's dealings with his people of old, he would remember that he delivered them from the tyranny and the slavery that they experienced in the land of Egypt. And however hard that slavery and tyranny was, the Lord intervened at the right time. And he had his own man, Moses, equipped to lead and guide the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord's own hand was so mightily seen in killing the firstborn in the land of Egypt and giving the people, as it were, an open door through which he would pass to freedom. He opened the Red Sea for them 
and the Red Sea enveloped and drowned those who had followed them to try and recapture them. What a song that would have engendered into the, in the heart and in the life of David, that God who did great things in the past, he is great, able to do great things still in the experience of his afflicted people. And when you think also of what the Lord had done, giving the ceremonial law through his servant Moses, and all the details of that law, speaking typically of the coming Messiah, even the sacrifices given up, they pointed to the coming one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of these sacrifices could not cleanse sin away, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses every sin away in the experience of those who confess their sins and turn to him in faith. Isn't it encouraging that however wayward Israel were in the days of Isaiah, the Lord spoke through his servant and he said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Doesn't that give you to sing in the presence of God, knowing that there is such a God with such a salvation available to those who truly come to him? Although your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. remember that David himself sinned a gross sin and he realized when Nathan came the prophet came you are the man and David said I have sinned against the Lord and Nathan assured him the Lord has covered your sin can you imagine a person who has an awareness of his or her sin in the presence of a holy God, to hear the voice of Scripture saying, your sin is forgiven, and the assurance of forgiveness is laid upon your heart and mind and conscience. No wonder David was able to write in Psalm 130, the very end of that psalm, and he begins that psalm in the depths. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried. My voice, Lord, do thou hear. Unto my supplications, voice give an attentive ear. If you mark iniquity, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What an amazing comfort that is to those who are bothered about their sin, those whose sins lie heavy upon them. And of course in the New Testament it's wonderful, isn't it, when we are pointed again and again to the Lord Jesus when he says, if you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive 
our sin and who claims us for more unrighteousness. What an amazing song David here talks about. And your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Could I ask, are you rising above your awareness of your mortality? And are you rising above, as it were, the brevity of the course of your life? Rising above these things because of what the Bible says about God, about what he's able to do, what he has already done, and what he invites you to partake of through faith. Surely that is material for song, material for praise. Every day you rise. Your statutes have been my song. And of course he says that not only will he give grace, the grace of forgiveness and the grace of redemption, but he gives also glory. He gives grace and glory and withholds no good from them who live uprightly. So much for David's personal experience of the statutes of God. They gave him material to sing praise. And I pray that it would be same with ourselves. But another angle on this is when we look around us in our day, we have reasons to thank God for his church. But we have also reasons to fear, given the kind of society in which we live. A society that's, for the most part, turning its back upon the Word of God, turning its back upon the rule of Scripture, so that people's framework of thinking is no longer biblical as it has been down through the centuries since the word of God was blessed to this nation and to our communities. Now at least it's different because people do not refer to the scripture as their rule of life as they used to. I fully believe that. Many people do not regard scripture as the benchmark to which they ought to bring every situation in life. They have other rules. They have the rules of society, the rules of modern thinking, and so on and so on. But the one man of God said, this is the rule by which I live, and I know that it's the only rule given to direct me how I might glorify and enjoy God. And when we think of our day and the church of our, in our day, isn't there material in the word of God to encourage us? Although looking around there is so much discouragement, nevertheless there is 
encouragement in the word of God for the church of God. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 54 and verse 17. No instrument formed against you will prosper. He's talking about the church of God with all its fragility and its, all its faults and all its difficulties and trials and the opposition it has from the world around it. It says, no instrument formed against you will prosper. It's not a reason, a reason to sing praise to God. And also, you can put that on a personal level, that no instrument formed against you, an individual believing in Jesus, can ever prosper. Jesus is my Father gave them to me, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. But the other thing is, Jesus said, in response to Peter's confession when Jesus asked, whom do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood have not shown this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on to say, this rock that is me is the foundation of the church. And upon this walk, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus himself is the walk. Jesus himself is the firm, sure foundation. And he is the master builder. And he is the one who builds his church. Or he uses his servants to build, to teach, to instruct to point people in the right way. But he is the builder himself. It is by his word and spirit that the church is built. And think also of the ultimate glory that awaits the people of God. It's not just a possibility. It's a certainty. When John saw in the Revelation this large number that no man could number, gathered around the throne, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And the question is asked, who are they? And John says, you know, I don't know. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb that is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What's David saying about the statutes of the Lord? He says, they have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. 
when I think of the fact that no instrument formed against the church can prosper, when I think of the fact that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, when I think of what Jesus says in my father's house, are many mansions, if it were not so I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. What a song that brings about in my mind, in my heart, in my soul. There may be difficulties and trials. There will be. In this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus says that all things are in his hand. Even every providence that comes your way. Remember that marvellous answer in the shorter catechism. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. What an amazing statement that is. And that's all based upon scriptural texts that tell that God is the great architect of the universe and that he is the great worker in the universe that he has created and that he is the great provider for all his people's needs in time and eternity. And David said, your statutes have been my song in the house of my pilgrimage. What songs are you singing today? Are they the temporary wisps of human emotion put to music that so often fill the airwaves or are they the substantial, God-given, truthful words of God regarding who he is as creator, lawgiver and saviour and also as the one who promises his people to bring them to be with himself at last that they may see his glory. John said, we know not yet what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, as he is. Your statutes have been my song in the house of my pilgrim. Our pilgrimage is short, getting shorter by the day. Our house is starting to crumble with every passing year. 
bits fall off, bits ready to rot away. But if there is this grace in our hearts, begotten by the Holy Spirit, this song is new and renewed day after day. Another catechism comes to mind. The souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. And at the resurrection believers shall be raised in glory, shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted at the day of judgment, and shall be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God through all eternity. My friends, ask the Lord to give you this song in your heart, because when it begins, it will never end. Begins in time, in a day of grace, it will continue through the ages of eternity. May it be true that each one of us will be found there. Let us pray. Help us, Lord. For the great provision you have made for sinners on the way to eternity. We thank you that you see us where we are and how we are. And that there is nothing about us hidden from you. We thank you for the sufficiency of your grace. Grace to help us. Grace to strengthen us. Grace to enlighten us. Grace to give us more and more awareness of your love. We pray for your blessing to be upon the congregation here. Bless them this evening as they gather and bless your servant over them. And may all things be done to the glory of your great name and for the good of eternal souls. Forgive our many sins now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us conclude our worship at this time singing from Psalm 103 and verse 13. 13 to 18. Such pity as a father hath unto his children dear. <clears throat> like pity shows the Lord to such as worship him in fear. For he remembers we are dust, and he your frame well knows. Frail man his days are like the grass, as flower in field he grows. For over it the wind hath passed, and it away is gone. And with the place where once it was, it shall no more be known. But unto them that do him fear, God's mercy never ends. And to their children's children still, his righteousness extends. <clears throat> to such as keep his covenant, and mindful are all way of his most just commandments. 
that they may them obey. Verses 13 to 18 of Psalm 103, such pity as a father had. Such pity as a